0: You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Live Free Now show bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. I'm your host, John Bush. Today, we have something special lined up for you today. It's a throwback to a lecture that I gave back in 2012 at the New Hampshire Free State Project Liberty Forum. The talk is called Agora 21, and essentially, I give this talk where I blend together, juxtapose, talk about the differences, but also the similarities, surprisingly the similarities, between agorism and United Nations Agenda 21. These were two things that I was exploring heavily, researching, speaking about at the time, and I thought it'd be cool to kind of teach people, educate people about both of them while also inspiring some some action, and some consistency. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. I really appreciate you listening and you guys following. Podcasting is something that's really important to me. I've done podcasts and radio shows before, but I never kept it going consistent. So here we are. Um, hopefully, I'll shoot for the stars, get to thousands and thousands of episodes, wakening the masses to the cause of freedom while they join us and participate in creating a whole new world. That's the goal, at least. All right, guys. Uh, I hope you enjoy this talk that I gave Agora 21 at New Hampshire Liberty Forum in 2012.
1: When we were trying to decide opening speakers, it's, it's always difficult because keynotes and you have opening speakers, and you want to set the tone, the right sort of tone for the opening talk. And I've gotten to know Catherine Bleich pretty well over the past, it's been like four years now since the Ron Paul movement. I've learned through the Ron Paul movement. And then things have evolved. She came to Pork Fest and spoke. And then, you know, I've seen her at a bunch of different events around the country. And then she got involved with this guy. <laughs> and uh, when she came up to speak, I heard her speak at Pork Fest, and she goes, "Hey, I'm coming over over to uh, to Liberty Forum." Because so I heard her speak at Pork Fest, and I said, "You're opening speaker at Liberty Forum next year." And she goes, "What?" And I said, "I want that same fire." So either two years ago or three years ago, she spoke at Liberty Forum, and she she brought John with her, and John spoke in the Hunt Club on Thursday night beforehand, and I was like, damn, I kind of wish I had a space for him to speak because I like the fire in his belly, and it's been great seeing John speak across the nation at some of the Nullify Now conferences, at some of the TAG stuff. He's very active in Austin, and it always kind of, you know it's kind of funny because we always joke we need you here, right, and. You know, kind of homesteading, he just started a family there in Texas, and I always think of him as like a kindred spirit. Whether John's family eventually moved to New Hampshire or not is kind of moot because I think like he's a brother in arm in Texas, so he he may not be a free in New Hampshire, but he's a free state in Texas. So I always think it's great that uh, that John is a part of this, and John has a topic that I think and, and the cool part is none of you guys know what he's going to talk about because you don't have the booklet yet. And. <laughs> When he sent me the title of his topic, I literally said, that is perfect. Because it definitely fits in what John has been talking about for the past two years going around the country. He, he kind of talks about Agenda 21 a lot. And you guys know what Agenda 21 is? If you don't, John will tell you. But what he's going to present to you is a twist on that that I think is actually, I think it's going to be like a little a manifesto, if you will, and it's something that people can grasp, and it's going to be great for our movement. So... Please welcome John Bush.
0: How's everybody doing this afternoon? (laughs) This morning.
1: This afternoon in Texas.
0: Uh Feels good to be in the Free State once again. Once we crossed the border, I felt that statist, uh, you know, that weight lift off my shoulders. Uh, I wish that uh, Catherine and uh, our new baby girl, Aliana, could have been with us. And the reason why they're not here is because of our favorite federal agency, the the TSA. Uh, Catherine refuses to go through a pat-down. I'm not as consistent as she is, as I always, always learn. Uh, I've gone through one pat-down, but uh, I was willing to go through it again to come speak to you guys and, and hang out with a lot of my great friends that I've met over the years. Um, Thankfully I missed the pat-down. Let me give you a quick note on how to avoid pat-downs. It doesn't always work, but a lot of it's about eye contact. So there's two rows that they usually have. Sometimes one has a scanner and another one doesn't. And what I do is the the TSA agent that's directing you to the scanner line, just don't make eye contact with them. Fiddle with your hands or pull your ID out. Sometimes it works, somebody else will go up or the other guy will call you. Sometimes it doesn't work. and it didn't work for me this time, uh, so I was called to the line, one of them had a non-functional scanner, the other had a functional scanner, and they called me in to the line with the scanner, and so I just waited for the other guy in the line with the non-scanner to stop paying attention, and I did a little. You know. <laughs> so thankfully my chances went uh, to zero percent that I'd have to get a pat down, but Katherine's uh, not willing to take that risk, and I respect her for that, and more importantly, we're not willing to uh, allow our daughter to witness her parents uh, subjected to that kind of tyranny because we want her to grow up valuing her freedom. And I think it would be detrimental to that. But don't worry, we're buying an RV for Pork Fest. <laughs> uh, another thing that was different about being in New Hampshire this time around uh, without Catherine is things seem to be a little brighter because uh, I'm not in her shadow <laughs> this time around. <laughs> But uh, I do want to thank Catherine, and uh, she's probably watching on a live stream right there. I love you very much, and, and thank you so much for introducing me to the Free State Project. Uh, it's really been a major for me and my growth as an activist. So the title of my speech today is Agora 21, a counter-economic approach to building a free society in the 21st century. We're at a crossroads in history. We could go down one of two paths. One of them, total despotism, despair, desperation, darkness, a return to the old uh, old world order, if you will. The other path would be a new age of enlightenment, whereby individuals recognize their inherent individual liberty, and they stand up and unite, and they exercise that inherent freedom. That choice falls upon us which path we take. It's been clear to me after a, a decade of research that there exists a tiny minority elite uh, that is manipulating world events. And now they are doing anything they can to secure their position of privilege and power. And now that we have such a uh, technological advance that's taken place, if these individuals manage to uh, put themselves in power and build their technocratic dictatorship, which is happening right beneath our very eyes, it may be possible that they'll end the cycle of revolutions and maintain that position of power forever. They have the technology that's capable of doing that. Thankfully, a lot of their own technology we're using against them. There's individuals, families, trusts, non-governmental organizations that have adopted a long-term strategy for carrying out their goals of total control. And they've been putting their plan into place for a long time. In recent years, we've experienced a dramatic loss of our liberty and our and our inherent individual freedom, and uh, that's not by accident. The purpose of my talk today is to call on libertarians, liberty activists, to also adopt a long-term strategy for bringing about and securing our individual liberty. This is essentially what Agora 21 is. It's a work in progress. I hope to uh, publish Agora 21, uh, a large document like Agenda 21, It hopes to provide a framework that liberty activists can utilize in order to create a genuinely free society. Not a half-measure free society like the Constitution granted us, but a genuinely free society whereby individuals can carry out their life according to their own ends, without being forced to do things against their will. So AGORA 21 is a play on Agenda 21. And for those of you not familiar with Agenda 21, it's essentially a 1992 United Nations plan that was brought out at the United Nations Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. It essentially uses environmental alarmism to create an eco-fascist, collectivist, centralized, totalitarian world government.
1: (laughs) Straight up, that's exactly what it does. It
0: calls on local, state, federal, and international governments to implement controls uh, from higher energy rates, to permitting processes before you can build onto your home, to uh, taxing us all to death, to abandoning free market principles. If Agenda 21 was fully implemented, We would see uh, a complete loss of our private property rights, what we have of them today. Uh, We would see the collectivization of world uh, social and governmental institutions. And finally, we would see a dramatic reduction in the world's population. And to be clear, they state that either we need to reduce the population by 85% if we wish to continue to exist at the current standard of living or we don't have to eliminate 85% 85 of the population, but everybody's gonna have to live as serfs with a dramatically reduced standard of living. And this is exactly what they call for in their global biodiversity assessment, which is a document released shortly after Agenda 21, explaining how to implement Agenda 21. Uh, Many people would consider Agenda 21 to be the new world order, but it's not. As I said before, essentially it would be a return to the old world order of feudalism, stagnation, desperation, despair, where individuals didn't even recognize that they were inherently free, and everything was done for the benefit of the king. Sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> Unfortunately, for those who subscribe to the Philosophy of Liberty, Agenda 21 has affected every facet of our lives. It's ever present here in the Free State of New Hampshire and just about every one of the larger cities in New Hampshire. Uh, it, it's also present at the state level, and the federal government is bypassing the state level and implementing it. There's also NGOs like the International Council of Local Environmental Initiatives, uh, which carries out Agenda 21 uh, through stealth means at the local level. Thankfully, there's some state representatives, again, leading the way here in New Hampshire, that have introduced a bill that would call on the state to examine and study Agenda 21. And I think that first step would really do a lot to pull this nasty plan out into the light of the day. Now, Agora 21, unlike Agenda 21, would work towards bringing about a wholly free society. In order to accomplish this goal, Agora 21 calls on individuals to utilize the libertarian strategy of agorism, which was laid out by Samuel Edward Conkin III in the New Libertarian Manifesto. Agorism is essentially derived from the word uh, agora, which is a Greek word for market. And what agorism would have us do is rather than competing within the state, it would have us compete with the state by building what he coined as the counter economy, which is essentially black and gray markets. Black markets being those activities, goods or services, which are prohibited entirely by the state, like prostitution, uh, the dispense of marijuana. uh, And and then there's gray markets, which is essentially those activities, goods or services, which you can only uh, exercise or engage in if you ask permission from the state first, like carrying a concealed firearm without a license, driving without a license, uh, giving a haircut without a license like you guys are doing up here in New Hampshire, which is great. So in order to better explain the concepts behind Agora 21 and to better vet out what agorism truly is, uh, I'm going to be juxtaposing, comparing and contrasting Agenda 21 with Agora 21 and agorism. And the first comparison I'd like to make is a similarity, actually. Both Agenda 21 and Agora 21 reject the American form of constitutional governance. Agenda 21 rejects the American Constitution because they believe it has too much freedom for the individuals. They created national sovereignty, supposed national sovereignty, there's a Bill of Rights, there's a court system which originally was based on common law, and of course, Agenda 21 would do away with all this. They would create one international state, Uh, all of the states below would have no autonomy, Uh, they would be completely subservient to this this body, there would be unelected councils, Uh, there would be international courts, there wouldn't be local courts, everything would go through one centralized system. So, it would also reject uh, reject a, a representative form of government. Now, Agora 21 also rejects the American constitutional form of government, but not because we believe there's too much freedom with the American Constitution, but there's too little freedom with the Constitution. So there's an area that we have similar. And to uh, further hash out that idea, I'd like to just give a quick mini-treatise on my views of the Constitution. Many people fail to recognize that the United States Constitution actually created an environment of less freedom than there was before the Constitution. We had the Articles of Confederation, which didn't have a strong central government like the U.S. Constitution does. Additionally, many called the Constitutional Convention a constitutional coup d'etat. It was John W. Burgess, a constitutional scholar and founder of the first American graduate program of political science at Columbia University in 1880. He wrote in his book, Recent Changes in American Constitutional Theory, that the Constitutional Convention was essentially supposed to just be an amendment process for the Articles of Confederation. And the process that was supposed to take place was the delegates were supposed to come up with amendments and then bring them back to their uh, relative, uh, respective legislatures in the commonwealths for approval. This is, of course, not what happened. They simply scrapped the old system and instituted a new system. So one of the questions I ask is, you know, how can we expect the Constitution to secure our individual liberty when the Constitution itself is founded in an unconstitutional manner? Additionally, as uh, Benjamin Tucker points out, this is a really great quote here from uh, his journal Liberty, the Declaration of Independence declares that governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. It therefore follows that when any individual is governed by a government without his or her consent, that government is exercising unjust powers and is a usurpation. And yet in the government subsequently instituted under the Constitution, one half of the people, the women, were denied representation at the onset, while under the ban of slavery and other constitutional bars, the number permitted to express consent or dissent was in the aggregate cut down to less than one-tenth of the inhabitants of the geographic area. Uh, known as America at the time, he then goes on to say, to what a ridiculous farce do Jefferson's glittering generalities reduce themselves at the first touch of common sense. So less than 10% of the people that actually inhabited America at the time even had a say in the Constitution. So not only was it implemented unconstitutionally, but it was also implemented without the consent of 90% of the people. Doesn't sound like freedom to me. So again, how can we expect this institution to secure our individual liberty? When in reality, what this institution was to me was simply the privileged elite at the time, whom many refer to as the Founding Fathers, were simply securing their position of power and giving themselves more protection from what the status was before. That protection did not extend to the masses in the least bit. And to illustrate that, how the Constitution actually brought about less freedom, let's just take a quick look at Article 1, Section 8, I'm sure most in this room, if not all, have have read the Constitution rather thoroughly, but if you look at it from a critical eye, from a different uh, viewpoint, uh, it's actually rather uh, profound how little liberty the Constitution uh, actually gives. Clause 1 of Article 1, Section 8, the Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes. I don't see why uh, a generation that just fought a revolution against a central government would give a small central government the authority to collect taxes on the entire massive geographic area, which has since grown to 50 states before it was only 13. Additionally, Clause 2 of Article 1, Section 8, the Congress has the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States, which again gives a tiny elite the power and authority to take out credit on the backs of the rest of us. How can one expect that not to be abused? And again, this is before the Federal Reserve System. They already had the power to take out credit. Before the income tax, they already had the power to tax all of us. Additionally, Clause 3, Michael Bolden's going to be speaking uh, tomorrow. Clause 3, the Commerce Clause. uh, I don't know how anybody didn't expect that to be abused. After 1933, they they said that interstate commerce applies to just about everything that you can do. Uh, They said if you're selling vegetables in your own backyard, it could potentially Uh, affect the vegetable sales of other farms and other states, even though nothing ever crosses state lines, so I would have nixed that one. I think perhaps they weren't creative enough to think of maybe trade associations could handle these differences in different state currencies and whatnot. Take it on to Clause 15, and this is essentially why I believe that the Constitution was nothing more than securing their position of power and privilege. Clause 15 gives the Congress the power to provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. And if you take a look at Black's Law Dictionary, you'll find the definition of insurrection is nothing more than a rebellion. Many of the, Much of the rhetoric that will be spoken today, many of the activities that many individuals in the Free State Project engage in, could be considered rebellion. The Occupy Movement could be considered rebellion. Wouldn't you know it, George Washington, at the direction of Alexander Hamilton, actually used this constitutional clause to put down the Whiskey Rebellion which was nothing more than some Appalachian mountain men who were brewing their own whiskey, using it as a currency. He called up the militia, they put that down, there were deaths, thankfully it didn't turn into a bloody revolution, but that was a constitutional act, to use the militia to put down peaceful citizens who were engaging in commerce. That was entirely constitutional. And as if that wasn't enough, did you know that NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, People are up in arms. It's very uh, repulsive that they would include an indefinite detention clause that allows the president to indefinitely detain U.S. citizens. Well, what if I told you that that basic uh, concept was already written into the Constitution and entirely constitutional? The only difference is now that the president has the power. You check out Article 1, Section 9, limits on Congress, which don't really seem like limits to me. The privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended, should stop there, but it goes on to say, unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion, should the public safety require it. So we see, of course, the respect that uh, politicians have for liberty and security. You know, liberty's way down here. It's it a back door. So there they have the power in cases of rebellion, and it's the Congress and their courts that de- can determine what exactly rebellion is. They have the power to suspend habeas corpus. So when NDAA rolled around I wasn't very surprised at that act. It's actually written into the Constitution and Abraham Lincoln utilized that during the Civil War. He constitutionally suspended habeas corpus, locked up some of his opponents, uh, and threw away the key without any uh, representation. This of course flies in the face of the revolutionary document, the Declaration of Independence, which says we have the right to alter or abolish our government. Well the Constitution would say otherwise and it gives those governments the power to suppress insurrections, and to put down rebels, like I see in this room. <laughs> and I couple all that with the Department of Homeland Security nowadays. They say it's a, a, a suspicious activity. It might be a domestic terrorist if you use security passwords on your computer at in an internet cafe, if you use cash uh, at an internet cafe, if you trade in silver. Freaking terrorists out there. i uh, really insecure right now. So while I agree that the Constitution does represent the furthest that mankind has come to an institution that actually limits government, I think we can do better. I think we can do much better. It was Lysander Spooner, of course, that said, uh, whether the Constitution be one thing or another, this much is clear, either it has caused the problems we have today or prevented them, either way it is unfit to exist. Many people in the liberty movement call for the restoration of the Republic or a return to the Constitution. I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to return to that. I want to move forward. I'm not a constitutional conservative. I'm a radical liberal. I'm an agorist. I, I want to move forward. I think we can do better as mankind. And we we all know how hard it is to manipulate and to change this, this federal government and how much it interferes with local and state activities. Another thing, I'm not for revolution. I'm for peaceful evolution. I ripped that term off as I rip off many ideas from the Free State Project. I don't know if the Free State Project came up with that, but I'm not about revolution because if you take a look at the word revolution, all it is is a series of cycles revolving over and over and over again. It was Thomas Jefferson that said we needed revolution every generation. I don't want that. I don't want to fight a violent revolution. I'm not a violent person. I'm a peaceful person. I certainly don't want that for my daughter. I don't want her to grow up to have to fight a revolution, for her her children to have to fight a revolution. And the reason why they have to fight a revolution, or they believe they have to fight revolutions, is because they believe they need to take control of the institution of monopoly power. I believe we need to abandon that institution, and then we can end this cycle of blood, despair, violence, and revolution. The next point I want to bring up Uh, about uh, a difference between Agenda 21 and Agora 21 is Agenda 21 would see the ultimate centralization of power and authority in the hands of a very small, tiny elite at the international level, the highest level. Agora 21 would bring that authority and power all the way to the individual and the community. And as we shall see, uh, it's my opinion, but I think it's backed up by some some pretty good, solid research and empirical facts that uh, we can't have individual liberty with the presence of a government or with a state. Uh, So what is a state? Murray Rothbard defined the state as an institution which possesses one or both, almost always both, of the following properties. One, it acquires its income by the physical coercion known as taxation. And two, it asserts and usually obtains a coerced monopoly on the provision of defense services over a given geographic area. And it's the legitimacy, I believe, that is most dangerous to our individual liberty. The idea that individuals believe the state is legitimate that if you walk around with a blue uniform and a badge, you are a legitimate authority. Just think about it, if I were to walk up to somebody out on the street, clock them in the head with a baton, tase them, take their money, take their wallet, I would be locked up, I would be held accountable. But just because someone has a gold shiny badge, as many in the Free State have learned, they can get away with that, and in fact, they can get away with murder. And they are murdering young African American youth in the city of Boston, there's an epidemic in the city. Uh, and nobody's held accountable. The district attorney isn't holding anybody accountable, and it's because they have that badge and that supposed legitimate authority that they're able to abuse us so much. Quick little uh, story, Uh, I was driving to uh, Nullify Now Missouri, uh, Kansas City, Nullify Now Kansas City from Texas, and I was driving in what me and Catherine called a sovereign citizen mobile, because it's her car with expired tags and no registration, and the reason is because the, the state of Missouri uh, has a property tax on vehicles. And while Kat worked her behind off and paid off her car uh, when she was young, fresh out of college, they still insist on taking $500, 600 every year. Well, Catherine and I, being the free individuals that we are, of course we never paid after she left Missouri. So I'm driving through Oklahoma with a car full of goods and from Brave New Books, the store that I work at down in Austin and we get pulled over by a Muskogee County Sheriff's Department. I don't know if you heard of this. I'm an okie from Muskogee. <laughs> well, these guys were some slack-jawed yokels if I would ever seen any. And, uh, you know, they called the, the police dog, they called the, the, the drug-sniffing dog out on us. And, and I said, well, do you need a warrant or probable cause to call the, the, the dog out? He says, no, nope. here in Oklahoma we can do that, and And my friend, of course, had a camera in his face, and he looked into the camera like he was proud in Oklahoma, we can do that here. So they brought the drug dog out, thankfully the drug dog failed, I don't know if we need to go back to to drug dog school or not. Uh, Long story short, I haven't gone to court for that, by the way. I don't have an Oklahoma driver's license and I'm gonna to refuse to deal with that matter. Now they've turned it over to a collections agency like I've already been found guilty. Thank goodness my credit's already shot to hell. It doesn't really matter. We're establishing free banks. doesn't matter the existing credit system, right? Yep. That's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't wanna take out that debt-based money anyway, you know, with the interest on it, it's all usury. So long story short, uh, because the tags were expired and because I didn't have insurance on the car, I didn't have my insurance card, Kat did have insurance, no, actually no, she didn't have <laughs> Whoop! Uh, they ended up impounding the car. They stole our vehicle, they left me and Steve and my roommate on the side of the road with all of our goods. We had to stash them in a ditch. We walked up the road to the uh, local casino. We had to call our friends from Missouri to come grab us. Thankfully we made it in time to, to participate in the Nullify Now Missouri event. But I told uh, one of the officers there, there's about four or five of them. Uh, of course, the whole time I'm berating him and cop blocking him the entire time. I said, "Hey, can I can I ask you? Can I tell you a joke?" I said, "Well, sure, you can tell me a joke." And I said, "What's the difference between a highway robber and a police officer?" And I said, "When the highway robber takes your stuff, he doesn't tell you he's doing it for your own good." And the police officer. Just Looked at me with a blank stare.
1: <laughs>
0: he didn't get it, so I proceeded to explain that concept. In five minutes. But it reminded me of a, it's a Lys- Lysander Spooner joke. Of course, Lysander Spooner, the individualist anarchist uh, I referred to earlier. Uh, and Lysander Spooner goes on to say Furthermore, having taken your money, he leaves you as you wish him to. He leaves you a- as you wish him to do. He does not persist in following you on the road against your will assuming to be your rightful sovereign on account of the protection he affords you he does not keep protecting you by commanding you to bow down and serve him by requiring you to do this and forbidding you to do that by robbing you of more money as often uh, by robbing you of more money as often he finds it fit for his interest or pleasure to do so and by branding you as a rebel a traitor and an enemy to your country and shooting you down without mercy if you dispute his authority or resist his demands he is too much of a gentleman to be guilty of such impostures and insults and villainies as these. In short, he does not, in addition to robbing you, attempt to make you either his dupe or his slave, as of course government does. Government's also an awful like, uh, awful lot like the mafia, uh, which uh, uh, I forget her name. A uh, state or remember she's in the room. Yeah, there you go. She gave the great uh, you know, ten re- ten differences, ten reasons why the mafia is better than the state, which was great. But yeah, it's it's exactly like the mafia, and for anybody that owns a small business, they would exactly understand that. They come around, their state bureaucracy, and it's just like the mafia. They come up to your door and they say, hey, we're running a protection agency here in the city of Keene. We need to protect you. It's a scary place out there. And the business owner, well, you know, actually, I feel like Keene's a pretty safe place. You know, I I don't think I need your protection. I open carry a firearm. My employees are armed. We can defend ourselves. Thank you. Okay, well, you better, you know, you do your business at your own risk. And then a week later you find a brick through your window and uh, you know one of your employees gets roughed up. It's exactly the same thing as the government does. They'll come around and unfortunately government is forced and if you try to operate a business uh, publicly now without a license, uh, you will feel the force of government uh, fall down upon you. They are no different from the mafia. The only difference is they have the supposed legitimacy of authority, which I believe to be absolutely dangerous. Now some libertarians, uh, most libertarians are against socialism, there's some left libertarians that uh, are for some sort of uh, anarcho-syndicalism, anarcho-socialism. I think we ought to reject the state entirely. Some people think we ought to use the state to socialize the provision of defense and justice. I think that that's a fallacy. I think that markets or communities can provide defense and justice in a manner that is more effective, efficient, and equitable, the lefties out there, and just (laughs) as well. I, I include all sorts of left rhetoric in my discussions. Uh, I believe myself to be a radical leftist, not a right conservative because I want to abandon the old institutions, but also there's so many liberals and lefties in Austin, and it helps to uh, influence them. Minarchists claim that the only role of government is to protect life, liberty, and property of the individual, but in order to do that, they necessarily have to violate the property of the individual through taxation. Some may argue that... Uh, Taxation is voluntary, and some individuals subscribe to it. But to counter that, they wouldn't need to make it forceful if it was voluntary. I believe everybody would opt out of it. Many people argue we need a government to protect us because there's evil people in the world. and These evil people and evil corporations will harm us. First off, there wouldn't exist corporations with the privileged power of protecting them from liability if it wasn't for state government. And second of all, all, if if you're going to... Create an institution of monopoly violence to protect you from evil people. Who's to say those evil people aren't simply going to inhabit that institution? And now, perform their evil acts, but again, with the veil of legitimacy, which is so dangerous. And yeah, government is precisely the type of institution that these evil individuals, who are willing to exploit others for their own ends, will flock to. And the problem with government is it's necessarily parasitic. So everyone is damaged whenever individuals take control of government to further their own ends. And then another thing, governments claim and the U.S. Constitution claims to have a separation of powers, but it's it's the criminals watching the criminals, the fox watching the hen house, we've all seen the state governments look out for each other, city council protects the police, the Supreme Court protects the Congress, so on and so forth, all the way down the line. It's just a system of smoke and mirrors, pulleys and levers, and it's big fraud if you ask me. So what does the alternative look like? What is the alternative to the state? Well, first of all, there would be far less war, genocide, empire. There wouldn't be any democide, which is murder by government, which, if you check, is actually the number one cause of unnatural death in the 20th century. Governments murdering their citizens, and our government isn't exempt from that. So a society would essentially be organized through a series of mutually beneficial voluntary associations, contracts, and relationships. That's exactly what agorism is. It's exactly what agorism calls for. It's ruled not through coercion, but through consent, through contracts. And This isn't a new idea, this has been enumerated uh, for 500 years now. The idea that we can build a voluntary society without the need of a monopoly institution of force. Now the final comparison I'd like to make between Agenda 21 and Gore 21 is the difference between the main principles of Agenda 21 and Core 21, and I'd like to further demonstrate what a free society would look like and how we would get to a free society, and also juxtapose political means with agorist means in a few different instances. So to do that, let me compare uh, the three E's of Agenda 21, which are found in Agenda 21. They're also found in the comprehensive plans, which is a means of implementing Agenda 21 that's taking place all across the country. Your local comprehensive plan is Agenda 21. I'm going to contrast the three E's with something I came up with, the three C's of agorism. The three E's of Agenda 21 are environment, economy, and equity. And again, you'll find this in the mission and vision statement of every single comprehensive plan throughout the country I've looked, believe me. And if it's an Agenda 21 comprehensive plan, it's there. The first E, environment, they essentially would put environment as a higher value than any other thing. Uh, whether it's personal freedom or property. Uh, which some people may agree with that. I'm sure people in this room don't agree with using government to back it up. With the economy, they would do away with free market principles, not that we have them. Uh, they would do away with uh, the cost principle with market and uh, with supply and demand, and they would put place values on things based on how those things uh, affect the environment. So for example, that you know they do plastic bag bans. Uh, in Austin, the energy is skyrocketing through the roof, and it's not a result of a higher demand, it's a result of them trying to deter you from using energy, and it's a terrible thing. Finally, the, the thirty is equity, social equity, which is essentially a devolution from the concept of equality under the law. Went from equality under the law to uh, equal justice to civil justice, social justice, now social equity, which is essentially egalitarianism. They're hoping to level the playing field through a massive redistribution of wealth. Additionally, they're hoping to destroy the family unit and replace it with government. And Agenda 21 has infected the public schooling process all the way from the Department of Education down to many local school boards. And they're inculcating in the minds of America's youth the philosophy of collectivism as opposed to the philosophy of individualism. So those are the three E's of Agenda 21 they use those three E's to implement Agenda 21. Now I'd like to call out the three C's of Agora 21, which are consistency, competition, and courage. And in order to further hash out what agorism is and why I believe it is the only strategy that will bring us a wholly free society, none of these half measures, like the Constitution, but a wholly free society, I'll hash out these three C's. The first of which, consistency. And this is from uh, Samuel Evercombe III's New Libertarian Manifesto, and I think this is basically the, the whole thesis of the entire project, and it's something that, that I hold dear to my heart. The basic principle which leads a libertarian from statism to his free society is the same which the founders of libertarian use to discover the theory itself. The principle is consistency. Thus, the consistent application of the theory of libertarianism to every action the individual libertarian takes creates the libertarian society. This can take place from the ground up. We need not influence Congress or elect Ron Paul in order to create a free society. If we genuinely want a free society, it's up to each and every one of us to live as free individuals. Whether that means ceasing the use of the Federal Reserve note, which I'll speak about in a little while, whether it means no longer asking permission to travel freely in the form of a driver's license, whether it means reducing your income or not filing your income tax altogether, We need to live consistently, and I know it's scary and dangerous, and I'll get into some ways that we can overcome the fear by building community, but it's the consistency which is key if we are to create a free society. The second C is competition. Now, the New Libertarian Manifesto uh, defines the counter-economy as the actual practice of human actions that evade, avoid, and defy the state. That's what they define as counter-economic activity. So I'd like to go over a few institutions that we can engage uh, in competition with these institutions in order to create a more free society. The first of which is the institution of food. There's many hierarchical food production systems uh, that are very vulnerable. The supply chain could collapse. Gas goes up to five or six dollars. and You may not see groceries uh, at the local grocery store. That's why it's absolutely important that we all begin to grow our own vegetables in our own backyards, that we engage in, in community gardens, get into all sorts of great technology like aquaponics, set up Liberty Gardens like they were doing during the Great Depression. They had the the Victory Gardens. Uh, And What I'm going to do with these different instances is is demonstrate the the difference between the political means and the agorist means. So one of the problems that we all face is the problem of genetically modified organisms. This is another place for consistency. Uh, In the past two years I've really got my health in line. I've cut out uh, inorganic food, I've cut out GMOs, but I see a lot of people in the Liberty Movement, a lot of people in the Truth Movement, uh, who are saying how bad GMOs are, and the next day they're eating a McDonald's and drinking a, a soda. So one thing we can do to better our lives, but also better our ability to create a free society is to begin to live more consistent with, with, our, with our health and to get in better shape, and I think we'll all be more productive members of the liberty movement if we do that. But one of the problems people point to is the GMOs, and they say, we need to call on the government to label GMOs. We need to use government force to label GMOs. It's not necessary. If you want to get GMOs out of your life, Stop eating GMOs. We don't need the FDA to tell us what has GMOs. There's already competing institutions like the non GMO project. So I don't think government is the solution in that particular instance. I don't think government is ever the solution. But here's an example of an agorist means of doing that simply educating the public about GMOs and and engaging and and giving your business to companies and food manufacturers who label their stuff as non GMO without the FDA. That's the institution of food that we ought to uh, begin creating competition with the hierarchical food production systems. Uh, The second area is health. I've been visiting a naturopath. In fact, I've just now gotten over a toothache. I was gonna go to the dentist, even though I have no money and no insurance, but rather than do that and have the interventionist drilling, which everybody hates, uh, I went ahead and created a little mixture of paste of charcoal, clay, uh, this uh, sugar substitute called xylitol and colloidal silver. and I've been packing it on my tooth and wouldn't you know it, the toothache is gone. I plan to do that to my whole, my whole mouth. So I think one thing we can do to take our, our health into our own hands is, is to begin to empower ourselves to take care of ourselves through natural uh, and homeopathic remedies. Uh, you know, insurance premiums are high. Some people say, well, we need the state to regulate insurance, bring it down, we need to pass this Obamacare. No, you don't need to do that. All you need to do is stop putting toxins in your body and start taking care of yourselves. The second institution is education. And the Free State is leading the way on this with unschooling, homeschooling cooperatives. It's absolutely wonderful. There's so many people that are ticked off with what their children are learning in school. They want to go run for school board. They want to go to the school board meetings and influence the government. Why not just pull your kids out of the institution? I know it's difficult, and a lot of people don't have the time for that, but there are homeschooling cooperatives. So rather than bang your head up against a wall trying to influence these a-holes who may have nothing in common with your belief system, yet they inculcate your children with their philosophy, why not go ahead and pull them out and teach them on your own, or put them uh, in the hands of your fellow libertarians whom you trust and who share the same philosophy? So again, the agorist solution, compared to the political solution of influencing school boards, would be to start your own competing institution. Another thing we could set up as well, New Hampshire would be a great place, our own Liberty University. Uh, There's PhDs in the room that I believe would make great professors. We don't need uh, the existing institutions, which are all governed by Agenda 21, Uh, You find the exact same internationalists uh, that are the deans of so many graduate programs that are right there in the belly of the beast of the United Nations. Another area where we can compete uh, with the existing institutions is the area of communication. And boy have I been influenced quite a a great deal by the Free State Project with the Porcupine 411 system you guys got going, just launched uh, Shire 911 as well. Uh, I think that's a very powerful tool that can bring individuals together and make people feel more confident when they do step out in civil disobedience or whenever they're pulled over. That you'll have a a whole flock of free staters there with cameras on these guys, turning them from uh, from engaging in criminal activity. We launched the Lone Star Liberty Bell in Central Texas. It's it's similar to Pork 411, although it's not as efficient and there's a lot of bugs <laughs> in it, but. Uh, uh, we've launched that, again, inspired by the Free State Project as a means of allowing people to, to have a, a phone they can call so they can get their community there to back them up. And another juxtaposition between political solutions and alternative institutions and agorism, they got the SOPA coming up, which is going to regulate the Internet. Uh, you know, Alex Jones has been talking about the Internet kill switch for years now. <laughs> people call their congressmen to defeat SOPA, and while SOPA was knocked down this time around, Uh, you know it's just going to manifest itself in another way. How about we take the energy that we use to call the congressman and we go ahead and begin building our own parallel internet, which is already taking place, uh, whether it's Darknet or whether it's the Alt Expo that I believe yesterday or today they're having a a whole uh, seminar on the ideas of of banding together local internets, Uh, people can tether their wireless Mm. modems together, stuff like that. They have control, they have the ability to potentially shut down uh, parts of the internet, why not just take their ability to do that away altogether and set up our own internet? Another institution, which I believe to be absolutely important, is uh, the counter economy and competing economies. And one thing that people are doing is, is setting up uh, alternative uh, currencies and competing currencies, local currencies. Of course, here in New Hampshire, you guys have the Shire Silver, which is absolutely uh, groundbreaking, and uh, really appreciate what you guys are doing with this. Shire Silver. The guys out of Phoenix, Arizona have the dime cards, which is a pre-1964 dime, they also pop quarters in there. Uh, this one happens to say, every Federal Reserve note you hold, central banks can leverage 10 times. Boycott empire, use silver. <laughs> on the back, it's got a little chart here that shows uh, the, the value of these dimes when silver's 35, 40, 45, and 50. They used to just have one number, but they always had to change the uh, change the value on there. And the guys out of Freedom's Phoenix uh, Drew Phillips, they're selling these today, and, uh, of course, uh, uh, Ron Helwig's there with the Shire Silver outside if you guys uh, are not familiar with those institutions. Uh, Additionally, uh, in Austin, we set up uh, what's called the Black and Yellow Pages, uh, blackandyellowpages.biz. I think there's one operated out of New Hampshire, too, but they got the URL (laughs)
1: blackandyellowpages.com.
0: Finally, New Hampshire ripped off an idea from us. Uh, But essentially, we found over 26 local businesses, many of them aren't actually uh, uh, participating in the libertarian movement, uh, that are willing to accept silver and or barter. We put it into a little pamphlet. I have them here, there's also Shire Silver's in there, there's also some other institutions here from New Hampshire, a lot of local Austin institutions, it's a nationwide thing, and it's essentially a directory that we encourage people to go to, say they have a plumbing problem before you open the Yellow Pages, flip to the Black and Yellow Pages, and keep within the community, use silver, use barter, avoid the use of the Federal Reserve Note, you know, my flight actually up here was paid for with silver. Somebody gave me frequent flyer miles and I traded silver for it. This haircut, you know, people like a little cut of slip. Got this haircut with silver from a barber we have in the black and yellow pages. So obviously you can trade amongst yourselves in silver, but what I find to be really empowering is to get out into the existing community and to, to brush shoulders with the locals. And all of them are aware that the Federal Reserve note is going down the poop chute. And if you offer them an alternative, a uh, viable alternative, you'll find that many of them will be interested after just a little bit of education. And then if you hold them, the black the black and yellow pages, because most of them say, well, what do I do with this silver? We say, here's the black and yellow pages. If you need a haircut, if you need a veterinarian, if you need a food from the local farmer's market, black and yellow pages will show you how to do that. And then again, to just oppose the political means with the agorist means, end the Fed is a wonderful case study. Many people think we can end the Fed by passing a piece of legislation to audit the Fed. This flies in the face of the fact that the Congress is empowered by the Fed and that they can fund their pet projects without having to increase taxes, even though they increase taxes all the time. I don't think the Congress is going to disempower themselves and never voluntarily give up their own power. If you want to end the Fed, stop using the Federal Reserve note and the Fed will end itself. And that's exactly what we're trying to do, at least reduce. If you can't stop it altogether, which is extremely difficult, especially how you can get petrol, uh, that's why we go to Biobiesel, another alternative institution, to at least reduce your use of the Federal Reserve notes. Every time you hand that Federal Reserve note, many people say, oh, it's a Federal Reserve note. It has no value. The people that say that I'll take your Federal Reserve notes and <laughs> think they're worth nothing. In reality, they do have value. They have the value that we attribute to them as a medium of exchange. And every time you hand over that Federal Reserve note, as this dime card said, you're actually empowering the Federal Reserve. And each one of us our own individual way is responsible for the actions of the federal reserve because we're building value in the currency and we're giving it the ability to fund foreign wars of aggression and build a police state at home so it needs to stop we need to be more consistent every time you hand that federal reserve note think about that think about the value you're building in the federal reserve note and think if there's an alternative way for you to get that good or service without using the federal reserve note through silver exchange or barter finally the final institution i want to talk about is the institution of defense and I believe this to be perhaps the most important of the institutions. Samuel Edward Conkin said we need to create agris defense institutions in order to uh, protect ourselves from the status intervention. These take the forms of a uh, local mi- militia, a neighborhood watch group, simply open carrying a firearm or learning how to defend yourself with a firearm and your family is a competing institution. Uh, I believe it's absolutely necessary that we begin to do these and we begin to think big and hard about this uh, I, I, nobody wants to initiate violence, of course, but I believe it to be a major deterrent of police abuse for people to arm themselves and for the public to know that we know how to defend ourselves and we will defend ourselves if we are aggressed upon. In Texas, we started Lone Star Smart as the sovereign mutual aid response team. It's essentially a mutual defense pact that people enter into and commit to each other to defend ourselves, not only from criminal elements in our communities, but also from criminal governmental actions. And this is all something to empower the individual to step out and to begin to engage in the counter economy, to begin breaking unjust laws, to begin to engage in civil disobedience, and to feel a little more confident in their ability to do so without being shot down by the man. Uh, Again, to juxtapose the political solution with the aggro solution of this instance, Uh, There's police abuse going on in Central Texas. It's epidemic right now. Maybe some of you have heard the story of Antonio Beeler, the Army veteran, uh, Army Ranger, uh, Stanford graduate, West Point graduate, school teacher. He was recently cop blocking some cops that were roughhousing a young woman, taking pictures. He ended up getting arrested, charged with felony harassment. They claim he spit in their face. Video evidence shows otherwise. So people are looking for solutions. They say, go to the police monitor's office which is some sort of accountability office, but the police monitor's office is underneath the police union contract. It's not even codified by law. They say go to the district attorney, the district attorney is ran by the local police department. So the way that we solve these problems is we get out there and we change public opinion of the police force. One thing we can do is go door-knocking, door-to-door, in the neighborhoods of these abusive police and hand out literature and DVDs showing their abuse. Uh, Here in the Free State Project, of course, you guys have helped candlelight. Third C, we had consistency, competition. The third C is courage. This is what I find to be the most important because without our freedoms are going to continue to deteriorate under the existing system. It does take a a, a, uh, brass balls or brass ovaries in order to engage in some of these activities, especially the can't leave the ladies out there. Uh, Especially competing institutions of defense, the state operates through fear and coercion. Uh, Last year I paid sixteen dollars too much. Uh, it pains me to think that even one bullet was paid for with that $16, that could be put in the head of, a, of somebody that's protesting the IRS or uh, a young Iraqi child across across the seas. Uh, they have the FDA's that's now raiding farms, they're locking people up in prison for sim- simply smoking marijuana, uh, people that engage in civil disobedience sometimes the police brutality is inflicted upon them. I have a driver's license, I don't want to renew my driver's license. Uh, but I'm considering it out of fear. I certainly don't want to be pulled over and tossed in a cage when I'm with my daughter. Women operates on fear, it's where they get their power. And in order to overcome this fear, it's absolutely necessary that we band together and that we use courage, because we are all free people. They're just holding us down because we're afraid. And it's okay to be afraid, I'm afraid. You say that I wasn't afraid, but somebody pointed at I was actually at a dinner with G. Edward Griffin after he spoke in Austin. I said, yeah, I'm not in the world or stuff. And G. Edward Griffin said, well, if you're not afraid, you're lying. And that really had a big impact on me. i wasn't my teeth trying to be a tough guy. But uh, I am afraid, and I just want you guys to know that it's okay to be afraid. And I hope that you'll take heart in the fact that, you know, while it is a scary world out there, they have Agenda 21, massive programs uh, to create a totalitarian world government. The police growing by leaps and bounds from a bearcat in Keene to the Department of Homeland Security labeling us all as homegrown terrorists to the prospect of uh, FEMA detention centers, which is no conspiracy. We need to take heart in the fact that there's strength in numbers, there's strength in unity in truth. So all we need to do is recognize that we are inherently free. We need to band together and defend one another. And if we do that, there'll be no putting us down. We will be able to realize our inherent freedom. That's the message I wanna bring today. That's what Aurora 21 is all about. We all have it in ourselves to create a free society necessary for us to abandon the fallacy that government can protect our life, liberty, and property. Let's stand up together and there's no holding us down. Thank you.